This is Chris Olson, and welcome to Shoutbox. Every once in a while, you meet someone through a friend of yours that really intrigues you, and one of those people is a poet by the name of Ryder Leopold, trans advocate and writer based in Chicago. He's done some amazing things, and he's so open and so interested in sharing his own personal story and you know journeys along the path of trans identity. And I, I really wanted to bring him in just to talk about some of that and to hear from him and hear about his background and let him share. So that's what today's episode is on. So you know, with that in mind, uh, we also recorded this episode at the Washington Library. So I will turn this over to that recording, and I hope you enjoy the story. First of all, Ryder, welcome to the show. Hi. We've been talking a little bit about pathway to identity, right? Mm -hmm. I'd love to learn a little bit more about your experience. When do you start your journey? Oh my gosh, I don't even know. That feels like a really layered question because when I was really little, probably five or six maybe, I remember just having this like distinct belief that I was a boy. And it it just like, it felt like intrinsic knowledge. It wasn't something that like I had any real, like obviously I'm six, so I don't have any like nuanced, you know, ideation about like why I feel that way. I just felt that way. And I like didn't like my name. And so I started going by the name Rocky. Okay. <laughs> I was little, and my parents, not a fan. And they, they didn't understand. I remember there was this one experience where we were all in the bathroom, and they, they were both, like, they were very angry. This is when I was eight, and they were, like, asking me, you know, why I want to be a boy. Why do you want to be a boy? And I was so confused. I remember just like not understanding how to answer because, you know, kind of like, what do you mean? I just am a boy. Like it was just something that like felt like me. It's so, it's so hard to explain because I mean, obviously I can't put myself in the mindset of being that child again, but I do, when I think back on those experiences, I remember just feeling really confused or I felt like rather that like how I felt, like who I felt I was and the identity that I felt I held for some reason was just like wrong, bad, or wasn't able to just be. And I had to like explain myself and it felt like, you know, I I was doing something wrong by expressing who I felt I was. And I kind of internalized that. And it was something that I had to unpack like years later. It sounds like you felt you had to repress Oh, 100%. Okay. A hundred percent. For a variety of reasons, you know, a lot of it had having to do with that internalization of like, oh, I'm bad. This is like a thing that's not okay. You know, like I knew that my parents really wanted me to be like their little girl. And they, Wednesdays, Wednesdays, I had to wear dresses. And for a while, I would like sneak pants in my backpack and like change at school and then change back before going home. It was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. Like wearing a dress felt like the absolute worst thing, like truly the the worst thing. And it didn't matter though. Like it was just that was what I was supposed to do. What I what I had to do. And I felt so. I felt this like disjointed, almost like fragmented sense of reality because I felt like okay, this is what I'm being told I'm supposed to do. This is how I'm supposed to feel. This is how I'm supposed to act. But it is so polar to what I'm actually experiencing. Even now, sometimes it's hard to be able to like articulate exactly what that experience is or what it feels like. And, it, and it's even further compounded by the fact that I didn't really have support 
in that realm. I mean, obviously it's confusing for a parent, I would imagine, but it, it was really hard to not be able to like share how I felt and then feel like they were seeking to understand. It was more like I was met with this, you know, like, oh, you need to not be that. You just need to stop. You just need to, this is how you are. This is what you're supposed to do. And like, that's that. That's the end of the discussion. I think that there's a spirituality that everyone has that is their innermost self. Right. And so you, you have this sort of purity of vision that you're seeing through your eyes, regardless of what the outside world sees, that this is your filter. And then someone is telling you that it's different. It's almost like you're seeing sun and someone's telling you it's raining. Right. You know, and, and that's really not my reality. I don't understand this, but you're my parent and I'm a kid and I don't really understand why, but you're telling me I'm, I'm somehow wrong. You are now having to role play for different mm-hmm. parties. You get to be yourself, maybe, you know, as you were saying, like when you went to school, for example, you could at least take some of your power back by wearing your pants, right? Right, right. You know, um, but then you still had to get back in and, mm-hmm. and play this thing, which then, you know, almost meant you were masking for your parents, right? Yeah. I mean, and kids at school were mean too. Kids, yeah. at, kids at school were confused, you know, because I was you know, telling people very confidently at first. I was like, my name is Rocky, <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, in the third grade, I had my first girlfriend, obviously, like, take that as loosely as you will. Her name was Harley. <laughs> and like, I don't know, I, th- I just thought she was so cool. And like, I was like, do you wanna come watch me play football? <laughs> Which like, we weren't even playing football. We just kinda like threw the ball around and chased each other. And that started, Like the whole Rocky thing, me feeling that way started when we lived in this tiny town in Montana. It's so interesting to me now because, I don't know, everyone knew everyone and everyone was like so close. And so my teacher was like best friends with my grandma. And there was just like, there was that sense of community. When I was there, it was way more well received than when I moved to somewhere bigger and way more well received than it was by my family. But it was just so weird, you know, like my teacher, my third grade teacher, like called me Rocky. When when we were moving, we moved from Montana to Colorado. My teacher like had me leave the room to go play that computer game, Oregon Trail. Oh, right. I heckin' love that game. (laughs) (laughs) But then I came back in the room and they got the, I was obsessed with the Denver Broncos. I don't know why, I just loved them. I just loved football and I digress from that because it's a very different experience for me now. But they had got this like blue and orange styrofoam football that everyone signed their names on and they they got me this orange folder and everyone wrote me a letter. And in it like in on the front it said Rocky on it and like everyone wrote letters and some people used my dead name but a lot of people wrote it like to Rocky. I was so validated in it there. You know what I mean? And so it's further confusing for me because I'm like, okay, so it's not bad here, but it's bad at home or some people like don't get it. But I remember like when we, so when we moved to Colorado, I had this sense of like, and I don't want to call it cockiness because that's not what it was. It was just confidence in who I was. It's so fragile for kids, you know, that, that sense of confidence yeah. because like, we all kind of come out like blazing, you know what I mean? We're all like, we know who we are and this is it. And it's like, it feels like our external circumstances or situations that kind of like dim us down a little bit because we feel like we have to like assimilate, so to speak, to whatever our environment is or whatever we're being told it's supposed to look like or be or whatever. But I remember, so I was, I still had that sense of confidence and I was like, yeah, 
my name is Rocky and I have long hair, but that's fine. I'm like AJ from the Backstreet Boys because he had his ears pierced because that was yeah. the thing. They kept being like, why are why are your ears pierced if you're a boy? Or like, why do you have long hair? And oh, Hanson, Hanson was a thing. Yeah, 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 and yeah, I was yeah. like, okay, well, they have long hair. Like, I just remember trying to justify it by being like, what do you mean? Like, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you who I am. Like I said, it just felt kind of like intrinsic. It didn't feel like some, I wasn't like thinking about like the biology of the situation or like the fact that I didn't like super like look like all the other boys. I was just like, that's just what I am. That's just how I feel. And how important is the biology to it? Oh my gosh. Isn't that the question of the ages? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. The way that I, ugh, identity politics are simultaneously my favorite and least favorite thing to talk about because yeah. it yeah, is yeah. so cyclical. But I think the way that I talk about that is socialization just wasn't a thing. If we could somehow live in a vacuum, which obviously we cannot. But if that were a thing, if people were born and just allowed to be, and we weren't inundated with these images of what girls are supposed to be, of what boys are supposed to be, and these are the parts that we all have, and this is how you're supposed to act, and you're supposed to like dolls in pink, and you're supposed to like trucks in blue, and all of that, I feel like we would all just be a whole bunch of freaks, so to speak. I mean that in the most loving yeah, way. You know way, what I mean? Right? Yeah, like totally. We would all we are all so weird inherently, I yeah. think. You know what I mean? If we if we were given the freedom and the ability to just like feel how we feel and think how we think and like what we like and that we're left at that, it wouldn't the spectrum would truly show itself. You know what I mean? Because there are some people who I truly believe do fit within the binary. Like do like are like I don't wanna say hyper masculine because I feel like, you know, there's levels of toxic masculinity that should always be unpacked. But there are people who I feel like genuinely, like they're just into sports and they're just into like working out and being what I like all the things that are like stereotypically masculine, which I don't even agree with those right. stereotypes. And vice versa. There are people who are super into like feminine things but that's not always like women are not always who are into feminine things so to speak i'm doing right. air quotes and, <laughs> and men are not always who are into masculine things right. but people fall anywhere they fall and so biology sure we would there are biological differences but within that i don't think that that necessarily connotes a tie to what that person's identity is going to be. What it seems like is that identity is entirely in the brain. To your point, I think that uh, people feel a need to present because of the socialization. People feel mm -hmm. a need to present in a certain format because of you know, circumstance in certain ways. And that even those who, uh, to your point, would perhaps fit in a more traditionally described binary still feel the need to perform in certain ways. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's the whole, well, when I'm home and I'm comfortable, I won't wear makeup. But when I go out, I do need that. I don't want to go out unfinished. And it's like, well, what the fuck is that? Right. <laughs> you're, the, you're the same person, but because of other people, you need to change how, how you right. know, the world perceives you. That's always sort of bothered me. Right. If we could all be the weirdos that we are when we're by ourselves. <laughs> there are so many things that I do. <laughs> I'm like, wow, I'm really happy that no one <laughs> else saw me do that. But, you know, where does that come from? It's so internalized. And it's hard to, like, you know, divest from socialization because it literally starts from the moment you're born. You know what I mean? Is it a pink room or a blue room? Right. It's all right. so dumb. Actually, I think about that a lot of the time as it pertains to my own experience because, you know, I identify as genderqueer. 
now, you know? Right. Um, but I feel, I just, I kind of believe that if when I was little and I, you know, was sharing how I felt and how I identified, if that would have been validated and if I would have been raised as a little boy and therefore like socialized as a little boy, I like, I feel like maybe my identity would lie more within like a binary version of what it supposedly means to be a boy because I would have gone through all of my formative and developmental years being treated that way. But there are so many traits that I encompass that I think, you know, come largely from my being socialized as a woman. And those are things that I really like cherish about myself, you know, things that are like stereotypically feminine. And I use stereotypically like very intentionally because I don't think that they necessarily are, you know, and I think that like my identifying the way that I do and my holding those traits that I have very dear is more just more of like a validation of that fact. You know what I mean? Like boys can be sensitive. I am so sensitive. I have so many feelings, things that aren't even necessarily like feminine. Like I talk with my hands, you know, like dudes talk with their hands. Like I love talking about all of the feelings that I have and talking about feelings is something that's seen as feminine, but it shouldn't be. You know, I think that talking about feelings should be something that like is emphasized and encouraged all across the board. Like I said, I think it's very interesting. I think about it a lot because I feel like socialization does play such a large role in it. And if the whole act of socialization just like wasn't even in place, like who would we all end up being? It's 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 sad to think about the fact that like we just we don't know because we live in the society that we live in and where we have all of these things placed upon us. You know what I mean? We have all of these hats that we're supposed to wear and all of these roles that we're supposed to fill. You know, and if we're not filling that role well enough, then we're told. You know what I mean? Like, it's so weird to me, like, how, like, we, like, police one another and keep one another in line for these things that, like, don't have anything to do with anything other than, like, your own identity and your own self and your own being and your own personhood. And that's weird. I don't know. I I, I know that 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 there could be such a... There's probably a more nuanced word, but I just think it's weird. Again, I don't want to, you know, misuse a word if it's something that you have a different definition. I'd love to hear that as well. But people will refer to this idea of patriarchy and Mm -hmm. what what does that mean? And, you know, I think that there are many different variations of of understanding or definition or attribution to that word. But to me, it's about uh, sort of a misuse of power and that sort of unequal power dynamic. And I feel that so much of, of identity is not even necessarily always conscious design right but unconscious it's been designed as a way to keep people in a certain way or to keep certain expectations and there's a sense of control humanity seems to enjoy defining things and that's how they make things understood and then people stand on those shoulders and people stand on those shoulders Mm -hmm. and even if there was a reason why for some good reason this happened way back then where are we now i think that eliminates some of the weirdness i think it prevents people from shining right I think that humanity is really fucking messy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the messier we are, the more interesting we are, mm-hmm. the more loving we are. And there's also this fear then of that mess. It's like, well, you know, it's hard to feel all the time. I don't want to, those feelings make me feel more feelings. I don't want to feel those feelings right. cut off. I, I feel that there are a lot of people who just don't want to be in touch with who they, who they actually are mm-hmm. and don't want to feel what the world has which is a shame because we all have ugly you know and like sitting with yourself and 
sitting in that discomfort and having to kind of like look in the proverbial mirror and be like, oh, that's an ugly thing about myself. I don't really like that, you know, and that's separate from that's kind of separate from identity politics a little bit because it's more just like, you know, the quietest part of yourself. You know, you called it, you know, there's like spirituality to right. it or like your your most like pure view of the world. Right. I, I just I refer to that as like the quietest part of you. You know, you sit with that and you remove yourself from, you know, you can't, you can't remove yourself from like the society that you live within. But like when you really like sit and you're just with you and you're only paying attention to you and your thoughts and your feelings and things come up and they're not fun most of the time, you know, you sit in the quiet and that's when the ugly comes out or the insecurity comes out or the fear comes out. You know, and so much of that for so many of us stems from like this fear of being alone. That's, I feel like a big part of why like so many of us like keep ourselves in the boxes that like society builds for us. But I learned about in one of my like women's studies classes, like way back in the day, you know, was about the fact that like there are multiple patriarchies at play, essentially, you know, like the hetero patriarchy and the cis patriarchy and all of these things like that apparently like kind of define like what, you know, normal is. And it's just like being white and straight and cis and like most of the time male is not what normal is. There are so many of us who are just not that, but so many systems are in place to like benefit and support and validate those that that subset of identities over anything else, anything and everything else. And, you know, the further you are away from filling that role the further away you are on like the margins of society and that sucks and that's what keeps us there you know and it's like this weird internalized like we all feel like i don't know i don't i obviously can't speak for everyone i'm speaking kind of existentially right now but for like myself you know something that like for me when i was really going through the thick of figuring out like all right who am i like because i went through years of like okay i'm gonna be a i'm gonna behave essentially i'm going to like fill the role that i'm supposed to fill i'm gonna go by the name that i'm told is supposed to be my name and i'm gonna wear the clothes i'm supposed to wear and i'm gonna try to have crushes on boys even though they're i don't uh, (laughs) like i don't know i'm gonna do all the things that i am supposed to try and do and then when i finally reached a point where i was just like no this just i don't know what it is but something is just not Right. So many things are not right with this. When I was really going through the thick of figuring all those things out for myself, I remember just like feeling so heavy and sad and dark, just feeling so isolated from everything and everyone because I felt so other. I felt so alien. I felt... You know... You you were disconnected. Yeah. I I felt like a freak but not like the loving kind of freak that I was talking about (laughs) earlier. I felt like I was just like some sort of abomination. Gosh, I think about it and the feeling is palpable. And and it's so sad because it's not, and I'm not the only person who's experienced some form or variation of that feeling, not even close to the first or the last. There are, you know, I would argue that so many of us end up feeling that way at some point, but when it comes to like someone who has a marginalized identity, specifically talking about, you know, like gender variants, it's hard because it feels like, I mean, the conversation is relatively speaking new pertaining to gender identity and like all of that stuff. And that being something that's like even okay to talk about or acknowledge. 
I don't know, I, just, I, I remember feeling so awful and having to sit with that and work through that. This is that cognitive dissonance. You know a truth, but because of your hearing from multiple sources that that's not what the truth is, that you're having to live someone else's view of the truth or society's view of the truth. That's, I think, the, the most dangerous thing, and that's where the fragmentation occurs. And I think that that results in, in depression, it results in mental health issues, because there's a, there is a reality. There's a reality in which you are happy, but it's one that, that you're almost told can't exist, and yet it can, and yet it absolutely can. If anything comes out of just sharing this story, it's like, please be your thing. <laughs> yeah, be <laughs> the thing, be the <laughs> thing. Know? But like sometimes there's so much more that goes into it. Unfortunately, you know, like it's sad that it's that common, but you know, it's not even, it's not even related to like societally speaking, like the identity politics that are set in place or the boxes that are built for us systemically. It's, you know, like sometimes families suck you know, nuclear families. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's really hard too, because then especially, I was first like going through this and feeling these things and thinking these things like while I lived under my parents' roof, you know what right. I mean? And so like at that time, you know, your parents are supposed to be like the this like signpost, like they are the pillar of everything that is good and right, you know, or that's that's what we're, you know, kind of essentially like instructed or socialized, there's a word again, to yeah, like yeah. believe. And, you know, if they're telling you that you're doing something wrong or that's not the way that things are supposed to be, it's really hard to be able to, like, separate yourself from that and be able to recognize, like, oh, they're just people and, like, not everything that is true and right and good in the world and, like, the way that I'm feeling is okay and I should be the thing. <laughs> I should do the thing. You know, it's hard and it's unsafe in a lot of situations, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, you know, you could lose your living situation. You could, it could be like a really unhealthy or toxic or abusive living environment, considering like your family, depending on what your relationship with your family is. And, you know, for me personally, like it wasn't something that I felt I could just like be because and that was like first and foremost like that was like it was a matter of like safety first and foremost like yeah. I didn't feel like I could safely be like hey I'm this I'm doing this and be accepted or validated you know or treated okay by my family as a result it just kept it kept that feeling going it kept the feeling of like oh I'm just I'm bad I'm wrong can you identify the moment or time frame where there was a shift where, where you took your power. Yeah, I think my family relationship has been strained in pretty much every single kind of capacity yeah. and way. But I remember like I used to like try so hard to gain specifically my father's approval. I right. wanted it so bad. I would have done anything for it and it didn't feel like, like I was a 4.0 student. I was in all the AP classes, I was doing the thing, I never snuck out. I wasn't doing anything I wasn't, I wasn't supposed to be doing. And like still, it just didn't happen. And I, I was in college and my freshman year, I don't, something happened and I realized, like, I don't remember the specifics of what happened, but I remember just being like, okay, I can't, I am attracted to women. Like that was like a thing. So I was like, okay, I'm queer. Like a thing that I had been struggling with and battling for years. Right, <laughs> Like. yeah you know, since like end of middle school, early high school, it was something that I was just trying to like pretend wasn't there. And yeah. I was wishing every, on every like thing that I was supposed to wish on. And I, and I was praying every single night asking for it to just be different. Like I just did not want to feel how I felt. And I remember I called my parents 
and I was just crying and I couldn't even say it. And my dad was going through these lists of awful, awful things like, are you pregnant? Like, did you, did you do drugs? Did you get arrested? Like all of this stuff. Right. And then he finally landed on, are you gay? And I was just like, I don't know. Like, I didn't know what, I didn't yeah. know what it yeah. was. They got me counseling to try and change it. Uh, obviously it didn't because yeah. here I am, but we never spoke about it again. And then my sophomore year of college, so like all this time is passing. My parents were co-signing on my loans for school so that I would be, because I had no credit, so mm-hmm. they were co-signing to, so I could get enough, I guess, to cover it. I got, I got a C in this philosophy of Western thought. You know, we're reading Socrates and Aristotle yeah. and all that stuff. Love it, but like, oh my God, what? <laughs> I, still, you know, and I love to read. I love philosophy, but that... It's heavy, it's laden with stuff. And I had one of the highest grades in the class, but I ended with a C. It was just like a notoriously really difficult class. And I remember I went home for the summer and I got sat down and my dad always, I I don't know what it was about me. Like, I don't know what the issue always seemed to be, but I don't know, he and my mom were fighting really bad and he was like telling her that like, oh, well, if this person was using incorrect pronouns was like, well, if this person is going to be staying in this house, then I'm not. And like all this, I don't, why, why? I won't get into that. But they sat me down at the kitchen table and they told me that they were like, like they weren't going to do the loans anymore. And so like, I wasn't going to be able to like have the funds I needed to go to school. For me, school was what I did. You know what I mean? Like I wrote a lot. I read a lot. You know, there were, there were other things that I did. There was my art that I loved, but it was like, school was just my thing. That was like, that was what I was best at. I felt, or that's where my value was, I think is what it more came down to. And so for me hearing like, oh, I don't get to like do what I, what I planned on doing like I had all these dreams for myself and goals for myself and like you know as we all know like that radically changes from the time you're like 18 19 20 till like later on like things happen but it felt like my world was like crashing kind of and they um they were like you can go into the military or you can do this or you can do that either way like we're not like essentially you don't have us I wasn't even out as queer at this point. And so they did that and like, I was gonna go into the Air Force, like I almost did. And I was just like, no, no, I'm just, I'm, I've, I've been doing everything, trying to like gain this one person's approval. And I went and I cut all my hair off. I did like the whole Bieber thing, like the swoop thing. And I started going to like the big queer dance club in Denver. And I, and you know, I was getting all this attention from girls and I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, I, I don't know. It was like, I just, that was like the start of it for me. And they were mortified. They were, they were, they were absolutely mortified. And they just kept being like, you know, you're going to you're gonna fall on your face, like you're not gonna be able to whatever. Uh, There was like one more semester taken care of in terms of loans, so I went to school for one more semester and I was homeless. I stayed on my friend's futon for the whole semester and I had moved back down home. So school was an hour north of Denver and I moved back down to Denver and stayed in my friend's basement for another, like until I like had saved up enough money and I got my own place. Like it was like, and they just kept telling me, that like I was essentially just gonna fail. Anything that I ever tried to do, I was told that I was gonna fail. And I was just like, watch, 
like watch and it wasn't easy you know I wasn't confident I wasn't like yeah watch me I can do it but it was more just like I can't continue to not live my truth whatever that is you know I learned about what gender dysphoria was yeah and I was like oh my gosh oh my gosh there's like a there's like a a thing to describe what I have felt my whole life and I Obviously, you know, I wasn't going to be provided the resources from the public education system or my parents about like trans stuff at that time. I don't know. So then that was like growing into that and learning about that. And all along the way, like I tried so hard to like still maintain a relationship with my family that felt really important to me. But it was it's it's been so strained. You know, they banned me from like seeing my sister or spending time with her. They thought like, you know, the gay was contagious. (laughs) whatever and I don't know it was just like I if the worst thing you can say about your child is that they're queer and or trans what does that say about you you know what I mean like if that's the worst thing about me it doesn't make sense to me because it's it's not I finally reached the point where I was like being being queer doesn't make me bad doesn't make anyone bad being trans doesn't make anyone bad and it's so fucked the way that like our society is built and set up that everything is seen as deviant everything other than being white straight and cis is deviant and that's just nonsense i'm actually really glad that you shared that because i know that one of the guests we're gonna have on later this week is uh is someone who's been trying to solve some of those issues for people who aren't able to live with their families and trying to right. work through this. I'm really glad that there are opportunities. You know, your story is extremely common as well. You know, as a parent, it makes me crazy because I'm like, how can you not just love this precious, awesome thing that is your kid mm-hmm. you know, for what they are and who they are and how they want to be, you know, and if they right. are happy, you should be ecstatic because that's your job, making sure your kid is living their truth, you know? Right. I'm really glad that you're where you are <laughs> because it, you know, it seems like you've gotten to a place in your own life and, you know, that, that you're feeling like you are, you know, you are true to yourself. Yeah. You know, there's room to grow Always. constantly, Always. constantly. Yeah. But I'm definitely, yeah, I look back on a decade ago and wow, just so many radical differences. It's a thing to be yeah. proud about though, to step away from the fear that you're feeling, because yeah. I mean, honestly, it, it is. It's a, it's a you know, it's a fear of isolation. It's a fear that, that you know, it's a fear that, that if I actually show my ugly, that people will, will find me ugly. You mm-hmm. know, everyone's got ugly, right? Would you rather be what someone else thinks is beautiful, or would you rather show people who you actually are? And that is a scary as fuck, you know, mm-hmm. a proposition that people, you know. It, it can take a lifetime to make that decision or to choose not to. And again, you know, big picture, I think that's what a lot of the unhappiness in the world is about, why there are these power dynamics, why people feel need to control, because they, they are unwilling to embrace who they really are. It's terrifying seeing someone else live their truth if you're not able to live your own for whatever reason. Yeah. It's kind of, this is kind of an abstract idea, but I just, I just feel like being able to live in such a way where like you're authentic about your own, like ugly, so to speak, you know, you're vulnerable, you're open, and you're true. There's something like beautiful to be created with other people who are also like authentic about their ugly and being open and vulnerable and true. Some of the most, if not like the most beautiful, so to speak, experiences I've ever had in my life have been in those moments of vulnerability. And I, I think about this idea of family a lot because it's not always like your family is not always your nuclear family for whatever reason, you know, and it's not just because of queerness or transness or whatever. For me, something that like 
has become like such a focal point of my life, like such a driving force is like I am constantly seeking ways to like feel what family is because in a lot of ways I'm like, I, I, I just, I don't really know that I've ever like had or experienced like what that is supposed to be like unconditional love and support and right. just like you know if if i were to fall on my face like they kept taunting me with that right. like you know you have a proverbial i don't want to call it a safety net because that's not what it is but like people who will like be there you won't be completely alone right you know and i have spent so much of my time feeling like if i were to like fail in any capacity that i'm going to be completely isolated in the world and obviously that comes from like a deep rooted like fear and insecurity, but it is something that like kind of integrated into like my identity as a whole in terms of like how I engage with other people. It's, I'm constantly seeking like no matter what the identities are, like the intersections and like the differences and all of these beautiful things that make us all beautiful. Right. You know, I, I am, I live my life in such a way where it's like, I just, I never want anyone that I engage with to ever feel the way that I felt. You know, and I, I just want to create this sense of family wherever I go with whoever I'm in, interacting with. And it feels insurmountable in a lot of ways to think about, like, how am I going to be able to just be who I am completely by myself? You know, because the only people who are, like, you know, in my life in a pivotal way, especially, like, for younger people who are, like, you know realizing that they're queer or realizing that they're trans where do I go what do I do if like the support network the the framework of my life right now which for a lot of like young kids is like is their family right. if they're threatening to be gone or they're threatening to like whatever it is not support me abandon me whatever whatever the case may be it feels insurmountable it feels like in, in, incredibly suffocating i think community plays a huge role in the way mm -hmm. and i think i personally feel that more than any time in, in human history that the more people stand up and be who they actually are they serve as inspiration just by you sharing your stories as you have over the past you know a couple of years mm -hmm. and you in here in the program is giving someone who doesn't know that there are others like, you know, that, that others have had this experience or are right. feeling these things and that, you know, uh, it, it helps bring clarity, you know, and, right. and, and therapy always helps. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> therapy is the move. It's serving as examples. It's looking for others. It's connecting mm -hmm. with those people, you know, and, and, and when you do find them, you know, honoring them, right? Mm, you know, holding they, on. Right, mm -hmm. right. Uh, this is this is fantastic. You know, I, I really appreciate you coming on the program. I hope hope you'll come back again because I feel like we just scratched the surface. Yeah, you know, yeah. If anyone wants to learn more about you or follow up, is there is there any place that you know? Do you are you are you a social media person? Oh like, yeah, 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 yeah. My Instagram is Writer's Block. My name with S Block because <laughs> it is like a pun, obviously. But um, as a writer, you know, it's something that. I experience all the time actual writer's block and it's kind of like gitchy and funny so yeah but I engage with people a lot on there I like talk very openly about things on there and have been able to establish like a pretty awesome community through that well uh, that's that's fantastic so again it's uh, R-Y-D-E-R-S-B-L-O-C-K thank you for being on the show mm -hmm. of course thank you for joining us for today's discussion with poet and trans advocate writer Leopold to learn more about Ryder, please visit his Instagram at writersblock.com.
to connect with us, you can visit our blog at kaiherring.com slash shoutbox. You can also drop me an email anytime. Again, we always love to hear from you. You have a story. You have someone you want us to meet. We want to hear from you. So email me at shoutbox at kaiherring.com. Today's program was recorded live at the Herald Washington Library in Chicago, edited and mixed by Sven at Blue Box Studio, and our theme music was written and performed by Melody Jane Wachtel of the band This is a Stick Up. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, have a beautiful week.